As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, We have a law, and according to that law, he must die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? he asked Jesus, but Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realise I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest then. The chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarments remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, They divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit.
for the events that we call Good Friday. If you're new to Christianity, that might seem really weird. Uh, in fact, that might seem a little bit perverse. Good Friday, did you hear what was just read? If you are a Christian, you've been a Christian for a while, maybe you haven't even noticed, but that was really perverse. It was appalling what they did to Jesus. It was a brutal day. The day we call Good Friday was the brutal execution of the Lord Jesus. The Christians do celebrate it. I celebrate it with all my heart. It is Good Friday in a very surprising way. Because Jesus, the death of Jesus, is the most central event of Christianity. It tells us what we need to know about God. It tells us what we need to know about being right with God. It achieves us being right with God. But friends, today we're going to hear the historical story of the day Jesus died. And it is not good. It's not a good day. As you read it, it's very, very hard to find anything good about it. And the more you know about the details in the passage, the more it doesn't seem good. Except for one thing, which we'll get to. But what you'll notice on the surface is this was a day where human self-interest prevailed. To the point where people were willing to manipulate each other, completely compromise on truth and on the difference between right and wrong, and engage in absolutely breathtaking injustice and, and brutality and cruelty that is too much to bear. As we read what happens to Jesus, you'll see two main groups. The Jewish ruling council, uh, called the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders, these guys, and the, against them, basically, the Roman rulers, and particularly a guy called uh, Pontius Pilate, governor of Judea, over them. And the story of Good Friday really is a power struggle between these two groups. They want to manipulate each other. They want to outmaneuver each other to get what they want. And they are willing to do absolutely anything to get what they want. See, on Good Friday, we see human beings at our absolute worst. These guys, on this day, are human beings at their absolute worst, able to do anything to get whatever advantage they can to push their agenda. And yet on Good Friday, we see God at his absolute most merciful. You see, if you're going to understand Good Friday at all, you read the passage, Jesus is a victim. Except as you read the passage, Jesus isn't a victim. He's not powerless. He isn't the victim of a tragedy. He is God's son achieving God's will, and it is occurring exactly as God has planned. And so as you read the story, it's a story of two power players, the Jewish leaders versus Pilate, the Roman leader, and Jesus is just a pathetic piñata in the middle of them, getting beaten up at their... They're beating each other up at Jesus' expense. But in fact, there's only one power player in this story, and it is not the Romans, and it's not the Jews. Friend, God is so much bigger than what we give him credit for. It's hard to understand, but it's very important to understand that God is so powerful and so clever that he can even use the wicked actions of human beings to achieve his purposes. Without manipulating them, without joining in and being evil himself, he can achieve his purposes. It's that powerful and that clever. You go, that's a contradiction, that's impossible, I couldn't do that. That's what it means to be God. Of course you can't understand how he does it, he's God. And because he's God, he rules over history at a level that you and I can't begin to imagine or understand. He could even use these barbarous actions on this day to carry out his plan that Jesus would die for the sins of the world and offer salvation freely to everyone. Good Friday is about the good God showing his goodness to us who don't deserve it. Let me introduce the key players to you. Pilate, as I said, is the Roman governor. Uh, Jesus was executed by the Romans under this governor, Pontius Pilate. Um, the Romans ruled Judea, the area, the, the country that Jesus was born in, and he was a Jew, their country. The Romans ruled it, and they hated that. Um, they had to 
go to the Romans for anything really important because they were in charge. The Romans were exceptionally good at maintaining their authority over the places they ruled. They were, they were brutally good at it. Brutal is the right word. In the event of Good Friday, you can see why they're so effective. The Romans had three kinds of whipping that they used to punish criminals. Uh, we see level one and level three in the story of Jesus. Uh, they have fancy Latin names, fustigatio, flagellatio, verberatio, but you can call them whipping levels one, two, three if you like. They're horrible things. Whipping level one was their version of a severe warning. It basically meant the Roman soldiers beat the snot out of you. And when you're extremely bad at they let you go and called it a warning. Don't be a troublemaker. Level two was a really severe, brutal flogging, but level three, the verberatio, was involved whips with chunks of metal or bone embedded into the whip, and the victim was tied to a post, and several Roman soldiers would stand around them with these whips hitting them, uh, either until their, their commanding officer told them to stop, or they physically couldn't keep whipping. Jesus on that day received level one and level three, just as he was led to execution. But as if they needed it, the Romans had a far worse punishment than in the tool chest than the verberatio. Crucifixion was far worse. And it's hard to believe because you see pictures of crosses everywhere and they're so used to it. <coughs> Crucifixion. If you feared the level three flogging in Jesus' world, you were horrified at the thought of crucifixion. We just don't understand. It was literally the worst way to die that the Romans could come up with. It was the worst way to die that they could come up with. And I just refuse to describe it to you in as much detail as I've read. But basically, you were beaten up, you usually received a level 3 flogging before it started, you are attached to a crossbeam, was attached to your back, and you'd walk out of town and it was extremely public, designed to torment your friends and family and give opportunities to your enemies to jeer at you, and they nail you up with crude metal spikes onto a cross, and basically the only way to keep your airways open was to pull yourself up on the spikes. And you were left there, battered mess, surely wanting to die, but often lasting for days. And <laughs> you don't need to go into more detail than that. The word excruciating was invented to describe the type of pain crucifixion had involved in it. They didn't have a word good enough for the amount of pain it caused. But it wasn't just pain. That's not what crucifixion was about. It was about shame, humiliation. It was about the Roman Empire's political terrorism of the population. Make no mistake when you see those people dead on the hill or dying on the hill. Rome is in control. Caesar is king. And to a Jewish watcher, that isn't the worst thing. The worst thing is the Bible says anyone who is hung on a pole is under God's curse. And so a Jewish person watching the man Jesus saw him and regarded him as hated by God, under God's curse. Friends, it is hard for us to appreciate just how much you'd have to hate someone to stand in a mob and yell, crucify him, crucify him. And yet that's exactly what many of Jesus' own people yelled of him that day. He was handed over to the Romans by a group called the Sanhedrin, the Jewish religious leaders. It was basically a council of 70 men, probably, and they had authority in every area, religious authority, legal authority, political authority. But all of those things were severely undermined by the fact that the Romans were in charge. And so anything really important, the Romans had to put a stamp on it, they had to prove it, they had to make it happen. And so Pontius Pilate's their real boss, and they hated that idea. In particular, if they wanted to appoint kings, two things, if they wanted to appoint kings or they wanted to have somebody executed, they had to get Pilate to do it for them. 
And so Jesus comes along. They plot his destruction because he's very popular with the people. And they, in a night trial, they arrest him, bring him to a night trial very illegally and very unjustly, declare him guilty of blasphemy. And they drag Jesus off to Pilate, the Roman governor. And that's where our reading started. Pilate approaches Jesus and asks the legal question. What charges do you bring against this man? Have a look if you've got your Bible open, page 1085. And we're going to follow the story of what happened to Jesus. And we're going to see the Jews and Pilate have a go at each other. And we're going to see God achieve his will through Jesus. Chapter 18, verse 29. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he was not a criminal, they replied, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. Get on with it. Why are we even having this discussion? Obviously, when you're dead, just do the job for us, will you? Please. Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. So Jesus, God, is in control. He's going to die by execution. He's not going to die by somebody stabbing him in the dark or any other way. He's going to die a criminal's death for the sins of the world. Jesus is in control. Pilate goes back inside and he asks a really insightful question of Jesus. Uh, I don't know where he got his information from. Jesus thought it was a bit strange as well. But he comes up to Jesus and he says, Are you the king of the Jews? It's the really crucial question. The whole passage is going to, the whole story is going to answer for us. Are you the king of the Jews? And there's no straightforward way to answer that question. You see, to a Roman, Caesar is king. And if you claim to be a self-appointed king, then presumably you oppose Caesar, and we'd better kill you because you're, you're guilty of treason at that point, and we're definitely going to kill you, and crucifixion is probably the way we'll go about it. But to a Jew, they don't hear it that way at all. To a Jew, God is king, and they can't give their complete allegiance to Caesar because that would betray their allegiance to God. But there's even more to it than that, because Israel, the Jews, had a place for human kings. God had actually appointed kings of Israel. It worked something like this. The king of Israel was called to rule under God's ultimate rule. And they had several great kings in the past. King David, King Solomon. You might have heard some of these names. These are kind of their, their poster boy kings of the past. But the great king they're looking forward to is the one in the future. The one that God has promised. God promised, and here's the important thing. One of the greatest promises he made was that one day a king of the Jews was coming who would be king of the world forever. Not just king of the Jews, the king of the Jews, that would be the king of the universe, of everything that exists. God promised that to him in the Bible. And he wouldn't be king in some oppressive despot kind of way. He was a complete opposite. One day, a descendant of King David, the king of the Jews, would come to rule the world, and he would bring life and salvation and forgiveness to the whole world. So to a Jew, king of the Jews doesn't mean, are you a rebel against Caesar? What it means is, are you the king who will rule forever? Are you the king who will save us? And so Jesus started his ministry, his public ministry, and people saw this amazing man. He introduced himself as being from God, speaking God's truth, and offering life, salvation, and forgiveness to everyone who approached him. And people started to catch on. Earlier, when he, he did a miracle, he fed 5,000 people with just a few fish, a few bits of bread, and they went, let's make this guy king now. Jesus basically had to run away, so they didn't put a crown on his head, because that's not God's way he would become a king. He would become king in such a way that he would offer life, salvation, and forgiveness to the whole world, not a rebel leader crowned in the wilderness. 
Now, just a few days earlier, Jesus had arrived in Jerusalem, the ancient city of David, the city of the great king. And as he entered, lots of people had greeted him. Hail the son of David. Hail the great king who has come to save us. And Jesus went into the city and he hung around for a few days and nothing happened. Some king. And I think at that point, Jesus' enemies probably had little difficulty turning some disillusioned people against him in a few short days. Now the Roman governor's interrogating him. Are you the king of the Jews? Well, he doesn't deny it. He's not going to be defined Pilate's way, and he won't be defined the way the Jews read it either. He's got his own version of kingship, God's way of kingship, and that he's there to achieve. Have a look at chapter 18, verse 33. Pilate then went inside the palace. He summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or others talk to you about me? Which version are we going with? Who's been talking Am I a Jew? Pilate replied, Your own people and chief priests handed me over to, uh, handed you over to me. What is it you've done? I'm not going to get involved in these kind of inter-Jew arguments. I don't know anything about that stuff. Just tell me what you've done wrong so we can get on with this process. Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight, prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Aha! You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You know you say I'm a king? In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Pilate's had enough of this banter. He's clearly not a rebel against Caesar. He's just some guy the Jewish leaders don't like. They've palmed him off for execution, basically. And Pilate is not a doormat, and he will not be treated that way. So he doesn't just refuse to kill Jesus. He does refuse to kill Jesus at first. But he's also going to have a go at the Jews while he does it. He's going to take every opportunity to provoke and insult them along the way. So he heads outside. Hey, everyone, listen up. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They refuse, and Pilate at that point has to give him some kind of punishment. And as God planned, from that point, beginning in chapter 19, Jesus' ironic coronation ceremony begins. The Romans are doing it without realising it coronation of the king of the Jews, the king in his coronation, who would offer life, salvation and forgiveness to the whole world. He was taken inside, he was given the level one whipping. Hopefully that would appease the populace. But Pilate wanted to humiliate the Jews and show them his, his boss. So he put a crown of thorns on Jesus' head. The thorns could have been up to 12 inches long. They had choice thorns around there. This ridiculous crown on his head, very cruel crown. And they put a purple robe, robe on him, mocking kind of the attire the kings wear. And they, they beat him to a pulp, basically. Hail King of the Jews. They mock, saluted him as if he was Caesar and then punched him in the face. And then Pilate brings this bloody mess, this sad parody of the king outside, presents, it to the, presents him to the people with all the drama he can muster, and he says, Behold the man who is causing you so much trouble. Here's the man. It's as if to say, Can we go home now? We've dealt with him. He's crazy. The people respond angrily, crucify, crucify. Pilate says, I can't find any charge against him. You think you did my job? Come and do it. Then the Jewish leaders blurt out the real reason they want Jesus dead. Have a look at chapter 19, verse 7. If you've got your Bible there open, it says, The Jewish leaders insisted, Look, we have a law. And according to that law, he must die. Because he claimed to be the Son of God. Now, I don't know if Pilate knew what a Son of God was, but he was a pretty superstitious guy. Most of the Romans are pretty superstitious guys. And he was afraid, and presumably killing something called the Son of God is going to be bad luck. So they're in a stalemate, neither side willing to budge. Pilate brings Jesus back inside. Where do you come from? 
but Jesus won't answer him. He spent the whole of his teaching ministry telling people where he came from. He came from heaven to give the words of the Father to offer salvation and life and forgiveness to whoever asked him for it. But he's not going to waste those words here. Have a look at chapter 19, verse 10. Pilate is getting angry. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realise I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it was not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Pilate had precisely as much power as God had given him to do his will. Pilate would do very evil things those days, that day, and God would use it for his glory. Because Rome isn't in control here, God is. Pilate kept trying to let Jesus go, and eventually Jewish leaders got the upper hand. They threatened to dog him into the emperor. Have a look at verse 12. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. But the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. Checkmate. Pilate was outmaneuvered, and it looks like the Jewish leaders had won this battle. Pilate had to compromise and kill Jesus or risk the emperor, who was a pretty ruthless guy, thinking he was soft on treason. But the Jewish leaders have betrayed themselves too. They've just called him king and asked Pilate to kill him for being the king. He claims to be a king. He's our king. You need to kill him. They've betrayed themselves. Nobody's hands are actually clean in this particular incident. Now the moment of judgment had come. It's a key moment in any Roman legal hearing. The scene is set for the Roman governor to take his judgment seat and declare the official sentence on Jesus, and there would be no undoing of the sentence. Now, before we get to the sentence, I want you to understand something. Earlier I said there were two official functions that the Romans had to do that the Jews couldn't do themselves, right? There were two things that Pilate could do for Jesus uh, that the Jews couldn't do themselves. One thing he could do is appoint a king... The other thing he could do is have someone executed. The Jews needed his permission to do either one of those things. Very important to recognise that on that day, Pilate did both. Here's the legal hearing. Here's the sentence. The judge is banging his gavel. He sits down on this legal chair. That's the judge's gavel in their society. Have a listen to what it says. When Pilate heard this, I'm reading chapter 19, verse 13. When Pilate heard all this... He brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. What's the sentence? Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. That would infuriate them. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? I've just appointed him king. He's the king. Legally, he's the king. Shall I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. That's the ultimate betrayal. I thought the only king they had was God. Finally, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. By the power invested in him by the Roman Empire, with full legal authority, Pontius Pilate, governor of Judea, thereby appointed Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews, and then ordered his execution for the crime of being king of the Jews. Official charge in the ledger. Somewhere there was a Roman ledger. It said, name, Jesus of Nazareth, crime, king of the Jews. It's shocking injustice, but it's God's plan 
that he would be crowned that way. The promised king of the Jews, the king who would save the world, had finally been publicly declared, finally publicly recognised. This is the king who will save the world, and now he had to bear the punishment for the sins of the world. At that point, Jesus received the verberatio, the level three flogging. They tied the crossbeam, the cross to his back, led him out of the city, and there, just outside Jerusalem, they crucified him. He was crucified alongside real criminals. You could say he was crucified by criminals for all the justice that was involved in his hearing. But he wasn't a criminal, and he wasn't a pathetic victim either. They didn't get the best of him that day. In fact, he was being crowned king of the Jews, the king of God's kingdom, the way he said he would. And in an ironic way, Pilate continued to do God's will all the way through it. See, the king of the Jews was the king who offered life, salvation and forgiveness to the whole world, and now God wants the whole world to know it. Pilate had a written notice placed above the head of Jesus. It was pretty normal to put the sentence on a plaque and put it somewhere near the victim so that you could you know what they were guilty of and not do the same thing, presumably. Herod wrote Jesus' crime on a plaque, put it above his head, and he posted it in the three major languages that people around there spoke so that everyone would understand. And they would understand the message Pilate wanted them to understand, and they would understand the message God wanted them to understand. Although Pilate didn't know that. Most likely he wrote Jesus' crime to humiliate the Jews, but he also publicly declared what God wants all people to hear. He wants the Aramaic speakers to hear the Yeshua Minatzerat Melech Haichudim. He wanted the Latin speakers to hear the Jesus Nazarenus Rex Udeorum. He wanted the Greek speakers to hear the Jesus Nazarenus Hobaslus Ton Iudaeum. And if there are any English speakers there, <laughs> you can't correct my pronunciation, by the way, can you? I don't know anything about Latin. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. That's what Pilate wanted everybody present to understand. It's the message that God wanted everyone there to understand. Why do I need to know that? I'm not Jewish. But it's relevant to all the Jews, because this isn't just the king of the Jews. This is the king of the Jews. This is the long-awaited king of the Jews who rules the universe, and who by his death offers life, salvation, and forgiveness to all people. And that means you need to know who this is. In particular, you need to see that it's king of the Jews, the crucified king of the Jews. Because that's the moment where he was, he achieved life, salvation and forgiveness for all his subjects. His coronation ceremony is, is where he secures it. Cursed is anyone who is hung on a pole. On the cross, Jesus bore the full anger of God against the sin of the world, the punishment we deserve in our place to offer us life, salvation and forgiveness. It's extraordinary. It's the most extraordinary coronation ceremony. It's appalling, but in a strange way it's also beautiful. See, a normal coronation ceremony justifies the rule of the monarch. When you get crowned, you point back to the day that the crown was put in your head and you say, I'm the king. You point back to that date. It justifies your rule. But this coronation ceremony doesn't just justify the ruler. It justifies his subjects. He isn't being crowned just so he can be king. He's being crowned so that we can be his people and receive everything he has to offer. So I don't look back at that and just say, Jesus is king. I look back at that and I say, Jesus is my king. Jesus offers me like eternal life, salvation and forgiveness to me on that day. Let's read how Jesus dies. 
and is never more in charge than the moment he dies. Come down to verse 28. Later, knowing that everything had been finished, and so the scripture would be fulfilled, still doing what God promised, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he'd received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It sounds to me like Jesus chose when he would die, doesn't he? Hmm. Bowed his head and died. Never more, he's never more in control than when he dies for the sins of the world. It's finished. What's finished? All through John's Gospel, the story of Jesus, Jesus has been talking about being on a mission. The mission that God his Father has given him to save the world from its sins. It is finished, is Jesus' cry of victory. Task completed, mission completed, it's over. He's become the substitute for sinners, and his salvation is his now to offer to his subjects. What that means is, there is nothing more to add. There is nothing more to add to this salvation that he has finished, that he's achieved fully for you to take a hold of and have for your own. He's achieved eternal life, salvation, and forgiveness for you and me. That means you don't need to make sacrifices to God to get his salvation. You don't make religious actions. You don't try to be good enough. You bow the knee to the King of Jesus and enjoy everything he has to give you. It could be that you're a person who uh, has never thought about trusting in Jesus, who has never even thought Jesus is a king of the whole world, and I should really submit to him. I really want to beg you to consider very seriously what we've been saying today. Come and talk to us about it if you're not there yet, um, because I am utterly convinced that Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews, is able to offer eternal life, salvation, and forgiveness to everyone. And I'm convinced that any other option is complete placebo. It's a lie that will take the place of Jesus and won't lead you anywhere good. So find life here. Good Friday is a good day to bow the knee to the King. And if you are a Christian, I, all I hope for you today is that you stand freshly amazed. What a King we have. The glory of this King is his extraordinary kindness towards people who don't deserve his kindness. And that's the only thing that's good about Good Friday, isn't it? The good king who offers his goodness to people who don't deserve it. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm going to give thanks to God for that now. Please join me. Heavenly Father, it is... uh, Absolutely extraordinary to hear of the king that we have and of your power to have him crowned in such a horrible way that would achieve salvation for us so freely. Thank you that we can know it's finished and that we can be completely in the right with you because of our king, Jesus. Thank you that the king of the Jews, Jesus of Nazareth, is the king of the whole world and offers that salvation to the whole world. Please help us to bend the knee to Jesus and receive all he generously offers to us. Thank you so much for hearing. In Jesus' name, amen.